Hey guys, Teresa Tang here, co-host of the CNA Correspondent Podcast. It's that time of the year. Our team is taking a season break in December and coming back with exciting new content for 2024. But before we bid 2023 farewell, we want to revisit some of our favorite episodes, like this one. I sat down with Chani Vadvani, who's normally based in Jakarta, as she headed to Sri Lanka to explore the impact of China's massive Belt and Road Initiative on the country. She even takes us to what could possibly be the emptiest airport in the world. Take a listen. You're listening to a CNA podcast. BRI, three letters that represent a trillion dollars and hundreds of countries. It stands for China's Belt and Road Initiative, a global project that began 10 years ago. The ambitious plan is to develop new trade routes linking China to the rest of the world. But some argue it's making countries dependent on Beijing in an unhealthy way. Case in point, Sri Lanka. I'm Teresa Tang. Welcome to part two of a three-part series on the BRI. Our Indonesia correspondent, Chani Vadvani, left Jakarta to spend some time in Sri Lanka. She joins me now to tell us what excessive borrowing can do to vulnerable countries and what role Sri Lanka plays in China's grand plan. Hi, Chani. Hi, Teresa. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, Sri Lanka, it's a country that's been on my list for some time, but I've never actually been. But for this assignment, you were sent to the island nation of 22 million people, a country that faced a political and economic crisis just a year ago. What was it like on the ground when you were there? Well, Teresa, I have been very lucky to be able to have visited Sri Lanka twice, actually. I was fortunate to visit Sri Lanka prior to this assignment as well. And just having visited as a tourist, I did feel that the pace was not as bustling as it was several years ago. And, you know, we even passed by some of the places that I had visited before, and a few of them were tourist spots and tourist shops as well, only to see that they did not exist anymore and they were either shut down or run down. But resilience also certainly a key theme that we saw there. You know, the Sri Lankan rupee has stabilized and elements like overseas remittances and tourism figures have bounced back and they are on the rise as well. I also want to point out, just to give a little context, that remember, Sri Lanka went through this massive period of upheaval and change last year. Uh, in fact, it was the country's worst economic crisis in decades since its independence, I believe. So protesters demonstrated and rallied against the government for months and there were shortages, food, fuel and medicine and all of this ultimately leading to the ousting of then-president Gotabaya Rajapaksa. And authorities, of course, attributed at that time all of these factors to the COVID-19 pandemic. And however, I must say that while the pandemic certainly did lend some factors to this situation, experts that I spoke to while we were there did tell me that it was caused, and to put it very simply, poor public finance because it was caused because of poor public finance management, mm -hmm. which they say caused the country to default on its foreign debt obligations. And so they say that around 2020, 2022, it all came to a head and it sort of came to a point where Sri Lanka just couldn't take it anymore. Off the top, I mentioned that the BRI involves some 100 countries around the world and Sri Lanka is one of them. How does it all tie in though? Why is China so interested in this country? 
Well, to understand why China is so interested in Sri Lanka, and I also should point out that it's not just China, we need to sort of look at Sri Lanka's location. Now, Sri Lanka is located just south of India, and of course it shares not only close trade relations with India, who's its giant neighbor, but it's actually globally placed in a very strategic location, which is at the crossroads of busy shipping routes. To give you an example of how vital Sri Lanka's location is, or how strategic it is, you know, if we look at a shipping vessel that wants to go to Europe, for example, it will take four and a half days less if it were to leave from Colombo to reach there, compared to a vessel leaving from Singapore, for example, which is also a major global shipping hub. That's so, a big difference. Yes, it is, you know, four and a half days. Mm-hmm. So it's geographic location and, of course, it's deep harbors very much have made it of great strategic importance from the earliest days of the ancient Silk Road trade route to today's maritime Silk Road as well. And this means that Sri Lanka connects China with Europe as well as it lies in the middle of this Silk Route. And so Sri Lanka and China relations date back over many centuries. Relations were fostered at the time by thriving trade exchanges along this maritime Silk Route and far-reaching cooperation as well in culture and knowledge. And so large-scale Chinese investments have poured into the country over many years from roads to ports and airports, as it has, of course, now emerged as a key sort of node in Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. So the two countries have a very long history. When you were there, did you get a strong sense of Beijing's presence? And if you did, was it for better or for worse? You know, how are locals taking to the Chinese? Well, Teresa, in the capital, Colombo itself, being aware of the history between both of them and sort of all of the ties that they share, you can certainly see large-scale infrastructure projects all over the city in the capital. These are projects that are massive, both in terms of scale of investment as well as scale of the structure itself. Aside from infrastructure, there's also major Chinese presence in Sri Lanka's renowned gemstone market in Beruala. And there, every day, thousands of traders from all over the country and all over the world as well, they gather their foreign buyers, they gather there for business. While we were there, we spoke to a Chinese gemstone trader whose name was Kenny Tu, and he said that he'd been in Beruala for three years. And he also told me that he thought Sri Lanka was the best place for his business compared to China and Africa. And then we also spoke to some locals there on the ground, for example, like Akbar Qasim, who is the vice president for the China Ford Gem and Jewelry Traders Association. And he said that Chinese presence has promoted healthy competition. Let's take a listen. Biggest changes, you know, to be frank, China. You know, China's are coming like, it's like uh, tourists are coming in here, dealers are coming like that. So it's good, you know, it has helped us, help the people here, help the market, help the economy, you know. It's good, you know, every day. And if you had come 10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen all these buildings, you know. Any conversation around China and Chinese money these days, Chani, almost always touches on the issue of dependency. And some have called Sri Lanka the poster child for China's so-called debt trap diplomacy. Would you agree with that? Well, if we look at the investors in Sri Lanka today, China is the largest investor. Reports have said it has funding and investment of nearly $15 billion. And Sri Lanka, of course, as you mentioned, has definitely been the poster child for the so-called debt trap diplomacy as well. But as to whether it actually is a debt trap or not, 
We spoke to several experts while we were there and to get to the root of this very specific question itself and all of the people that we spoke to told me that it certainly isn't a debt trap of China's creation. Let's take a listen to Murtaza Jafarji, who is chairman of the Advocata Institute to sort of place better context and sort of break it down better for us. And I have been in various government committees uh, over the last 10 years and I'm kind of closer to the facts that yes, China is the largest bilateral creditor. I believe that there's about 11 billion owed to bilateral creditors of which a little bit above 5 billion is owed to China. But our debt issues, uh, because out of our total debt, about 55% of it is domestic debt and the rest is external debt. So we have excessive amount of debt. You were in Colombo, but you also ventured out about 40 kilometers to the town of Nagombo. Is there a different take on Chinese investment when you leave the city? If we look at places outside of Colombo and people that we talked to while we were there, the focus is not so much about Chinese involvement or not, but most people are still recovering from last year's upheaval. And so the focus is very much on getting back on track economically and what they can do for their families and how they can continue to survive. You know, locals we talk to say that while it's clear that Sri Lanka appears to be out of the woods and on its path to recovery, prices of goods are still very high. Incomes have not caught up. We spoke to a businessman who ran his own shop, Fazin Muhammad, his name was, and he said that right now people do not have money to spend for unnecessary things. So people are limiting their expenditure to only what is necessary, essential items. And so, for example, his business itself, he previously dealt in imitation jewelry and gold-plated jewelry. And right now he's had to shift his focus from that business to selling other things such as school supplies for children or toys, plastic toys, in fact. And he sort of had to adapt to the current situation he is in now. And we also know from data that rising costs have also pushed more people into poverty. According to the World Bank, Sri Lanka's poverty rate has almost doubled from 13.1% in 2021 to nearly 25% last year. And that's an addition of 25 million poor people. So we also know, according to this data, that it could jump to 27.4% this year. Wow. All right. Don't go anywhere. More with Johnny Vadvani coming up. After this, she's going to tell us what it was like at the emptiest airport in the world. Yeah. Can you imagine being the only person at an airport? Stay with us. Are you looking for ways to make your money work harder? Tips on saving, investing or retiring early, perhaps. Or advice on big-ticket decisions like buying a house or owning a car. I'm Andrea Hing, host of CNA's top personal finance podcast, Money Talks. And these are some of the things we find out for you. Each week, I get a guest to share personal stories and answer burning questions that help you make sense of the latest financial trends. Go check out the complete Money Talks playlist on the CNA app, Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts. Welcome back. Chani, you visited bustling markets and also another place that you would expect to be busy, but it actually wasn't. I can't imagine going to an airport that's pretty much deserted. That happened to you, though. Can you explain what that was all about? 
That's right, Teresa. And I must tell you, it was a very surreal experience for us as well. You know, we've always long associated airports with massive crowds. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, when we think of airports, you just think about the massive checks, the queues for scans, immigration. I can't think of even one instance where I would associate an airport to be completely, or I would think of an airport as being completely empty. And <laughs> this was actually very much the situation for us there. At the time that we were there, at that very moment, there was not a single passenger. There was only airport staff. The airport, which was the Matala Rajapaksa International Airport, and it's located near the Hambantota port. At that time, it was built, it, you know, it's able to handle a capacity of 1 million passengers per year, even today. But from December 2022 until July 2023, the airport handled just a little over 67,000 passengers. Oh my gosh. Yes. We were able to walk through, again, the gates. Uh, immigration had no staff. Uh, <laughs> even the counters, all of them empty, except for very few, if I'm not mistaken. But the rest of the time, there was literally nobody except us who were the outsiders, so to speak. Reports say that China has investment of nearly $15 billion in Sri Lanka. And part of this investment is funneled towards the Matala Rajapaksa International Airport. Today, this airport is widely considered to be a commercial failure. And of course, it has been dubbed the world's emptiest airport. This airport, fascinatingly, was built to be the country's number two air transport hub, meant to be supporting Sri Lanka's main airport. However, clearly that has not been the case. Mm -hmm. It was built at a cost of over $200 million. $190 million came from Chinese loans. And the airport began its international services in 2013, but then it was stopped just five years later in 2018 due to low demand. In 2022, flights resumed, but with just one passenger airline. And that's sort of where... We came in in 2023 to the situation today and we saw that it was just uh, empty and it's been dubbed a white elephant, so to speak. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, staff at the airport also told us that cost-cutting measures have been implemented, such as limitations to electricity, drinking water, staff transport, purchases of equipment, staff rotations are also being implemented so people work in shifts to keep the losses down. Wow, that's quite a visit to an airport. That I've never heard of anything like that. I want to talk about another of Sri Lanka's white elephants. It's called the Lotus Tower, uh, built for an estimated 113 million US dollars. And it has become a symbol of the disgraced Rajapaksa clan's ties to Beijing too, right? That's right. But Teresa, before I tell you about the Lotus Tower, I do want to talk about the Rajapaksa family a little bit. Now, the Rajapaksa family, which has dominated Sri Lankan politics for nearly two decades, have been considered friendly to Beijing, and they have been long considered to have friendly ties to Beijing. Chinese investment in the Rajapaksa family grew as well during the BRI era, and reports have said that Mahinda Rajapaksa's 2015 campaign during that time over 7 million US dollars went directly from a majority state-owned Chinese corporation to Rajapaksa's campaign expenditures. And you also have Mahinda Rajapaksa, who served as president for Sri Lanka from 2005 to 2015. And he was followed by his brother, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, who served as president after Mahinda until he was ousted in 2022. Now, going into the Lotus Tower as I've mentioned earlier, it was originally built to be the highest broadcast tower in South Asia. Now, we had to pay a visit to that tower. Its elevator is the fastest 
in the country as well. <laughs> yeah, it took us 46 seconds to reach 290 meters high. Oh gosh. Really, I felt my ears pop as we go up as well. <laughs> and it was built, I think it was at an estimated cost of $113 million, but $88 million came from a loan from China and then Sri Lanka foot the rest of the bill. And in 2022, annual revenue for the Lotus Broadcasting, the Lotus Colombo Lotus Tower was estimated to stand at just a little over $8 million, which is far short of expectations. Because of course, it didn't serve its purpose as a broadcast tower. And so what was done with it is that a company took over this tower, managing this tower, and sort of it's now been repurposed for tourism activity. You know, I spoke to Foreign Minister Ali Sabri, who told me that Chinese investment is very important because he said Sri Lanka needs investment. And when Sri Lanka was in need of massive investment, China answered. But he also said that the next phase of development is going to be growth. Let's take a listen. And going forward for the next phase of our development is growth-oriented. Growth means somebody needs to put money into it. That means investment. So I think amongst the major players right now in the world, China has a hefty pocket. Uh, they are waiting for investment. We are a strategic part of their BRI initiative. So for us, Chinese investment are important and we look forward for that investment. If we look at a map, Chadni, Sri Lanka sits just below India. They have a very close relationship in terms of trade, culture, religion. But now that China is stepping up its interests, how is Sri Lanka balancing the two? It's really caught between two giants in a way. That's right. It certainly is. And I asked Foreign Minister Ali Sabri this very question herself. And his response to me was that Sri Lanka stands in the middle. He said they don't take sides. They do not want to tie up with any camp. He also said that they don't want tension with anyone and they will not allow anyone to use their backyard to threaten any country or to build their military bases. But he did also highlight that Sri Lanka has a strategic relationship with all parties, or rather Sri Lanka would be open to do business with everybody and they cannot afford to take sides or choose to not work with anyone. And he also highlighted to me that the biggest market is US, for example. He said mm -hmm. India, their neighbor, and their biggest trading partner as well. Last year, in fact, during the crisis, India helped to bail them out from a very difficult situation where many expected China to do more, it was India who came through. And then when you talk about China and their relations with Sri Lanka, China, he said, is their long-standing friend. He called China a friend, both in international arenas. He said China stood by Sri Lanka in thick and thin, and also because, of course, they're investors in the country. So citing all of these scenarios, Foreign Minister Ali Sabri said that all of these countries are important for Sri Lanka, and then their relationship is very transparent, he said, and he again made a point to emphasize that they have always asked for peace and full settlement in every dispute and all disputes. Very diplomatic. So knowing what they know now, do you get the sense that Sri Lankans would make the same choices again? And what do you think is in store for them as the Belt and Road Initiative continues? Again, I did talk to Foreign Minister Ali Sabri and asked him point blank, you know, what does he think of critics who claim that China's proposed BRI initiative has been used as a sort of a tool to create debt traps for its recipient countries? And his response was that he doesn't think so. And he said, he questioned me back. He said, what are they going to achieve out of the debt trap, you know? If you put your money into any country, and I'm, I'm quoting from what he told me, he said, if you put your money into any country for investment, it obviously means they want returns. Mm -hmm. So if you want returns, you want to see that country succeed. 
And so that's why he said it was important right now for Sri Lanka to take the right call in taking those and making those important investment decisions. But as to whether they would make the same choices, Foreign Minister Ali Sabri did say that in hindsight, in terms of investment of where they would or would not have put their money in again, he did say that perhaps there would be different choices made. Uh, he did say that. Yes, it was it was fascinating that, you know, he, he came forward to say that. And he also did say that they will no longer go and borrow money. He said what Sri Lanka is asking now for is investment, partnership and opportunities to grow together. And he also said that that is a lesson learned during the last year because of the crisis. As I mentioned earlier, we have Port City Colombo, construction certainly still going on there. And then we also know that Sri Lanka's aspirations to become a major logistics hub actually took a leap forward with the launch of a project to build the largest commercial and logistics complex in South Asia in the port of Colombo. And that is uh, China Merchants Port Holdings holding 70% stake, while Sri Lanka Ports Authority and Access Engineering holding 15% stake each in this venture. Construction, of course, set to begin in the coming months. It's, again, expected to complete by 2025. And this, alongside with another project with India's Adani Group at Colombo Port, is expected to revolutionize the current shipping landscape in Sri Lanka. Wow, it sounds like very exciting plans for the country. And they really show that the Belt and Road Initiative is plowing full steam ahead. Thank you very much for taking us to Sri Lanka, Chadney. Thank you, Teresa. It was lovely talking to you as always. Well, after hearing about the BRI, maybe you want to see it too. The TV version of this series is available on CNA's YouTube channel. And catch up with the correspondents anytime on cna.asia. The team behind this episode is Saya Wynn, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and me, Teresa Tang. Until next time. <laughs>